Thank you, choir and Reverend Tyson. Beautifully done. This is 4th of July weekend. And growing up, I always spent the 4th of July with my family at Lake Watery. Across the lake, there's undeveloped land that has sandbars, which are ready to be claimed by the first who arrived there on holiday weekends like this one. There they pitch their tent and soon by night build a campfire that you can see all the way across the lake. Amongst the pop and pow of fireworks, you can hear their voices reverberate across the whole lake. With them come laughter and screams and yelps. And I imagine myself around that campfire with them, faces aglow as they are telling stories. Stories, surely, that are silly by nature. Others are ones that are cautionary tales. But then there comes a moment, as such, around any campfire, when everyone truly settles in and leans back as they are listening with the ears that are connected to their own heart, someone begins to put forward what I like to call a story, a consequence. Something that happened during their life's journey, which was formational to their identity, and that connects them with others around the campfire, for in that they have a common lived experience. I don't know if you are one of those that likes campfires or just likes the ideas of campfire. We know that around campfire circles, it always matters greatly which direction the prevailing wind is blowing. For the person that is downwind of a campfire gets nothing more than a face full of smoke. And all, this is a scientific fact, all who live a campfire at the end of the night will no doubt smell like beef jerky. It's a smell that you can't get out of your clothes or your hair. It just lingers with you, but it does not diminish the importance of the campfire moment. During this season of summer breeze, I hope that you have had an opportunity to settle down around a campfire perhaps with friends or family, a moment when you, amongst the hiss and the crackle and the pop of the firewood, can possibly make some s'mores and lean back and enjoy that moment and when a story of consequence is put forward. But if we're honest, there are far too few stories of consequence that are being told this day. Perhaps it's because we as a people are choosing to live a narrative of life which is somewhat superficial. There's an author to a book that I'm reading called Hearts Touched with Fire in which the author goes through storyline after storyline of great leaders in our country, the United States of America. Within, they trace the following common characteristic that was originally quoted by Oliver Wendell Holmes, Jr., a servant of the church and of the nation, as he was a soldier on the Union side in the Civil War and was later named a Supreme Court Justice. 
It was he who originally wrote, as life is action and passion, it is required of a person that they should have the passion and action of their time at peril of being judged not to have lived. Through our great good fortune and in our youth, our hearts were touched with fire. It was given to us to learn at the outset that life is a profound and passionate thing. I have come to conclude that all great stories which we are able to tell or which we could one day tell have three common characteristics. First, there is a moment of great trial. Then, followed by the trial, there is a moment of great victory. And last but not least, there is a moment of true change in which people who have entered into the trial and received the victory leave life feeling and living differently, perhaps with a greater appreciation, perhaps with a deeper passion, perhaps realizing now more than ever that life is a gift that is not to be wasted. Perhaps someone like the following. In 1814, a young lawyer was negotiating the transaction of prisoners of war with British officers. Having seen the British positions that were soon gathered around Fort McHenry, they did not allow him to leave their garrison. So for the night, he was held captive as he watched the British ships bombard Fort McHenry there on the shores of Baltimore. As he watched this battle take place, he scribbled down on his paper provided for him a poem, a poem that proclaims at the end that the flag was still there. This was none other than Francis Scott Key, whose poem entitled The Star-Spangled Banner would later become our national anthem in 1916 under the presidency of Woodrow Wilson. This is a story of consequence, one that had a moment of great trial, one that had a moment of great victory, and one that had a moment of great change as a young man was forever inspired by the star-spangled banner waving proudly at dawn and declaring that Americans had held the base and were not defeated. This is, in fact, the version of our national anthem which we hold dear and which we are soon to sing, I'm sure, at some point this weekend. And Psalm 66, as read to us by our own Susan Greer, is in a way a national anthem of Israel. It's an anthem of praise, a doxology that speaks of a deliverance that Israel received, a deliverance that came during a great trial and a deliverance which caused a great change. There's much discussion amongst scholars about exactly which moment in history the Psalm 66 is describing, but many have landed that it was in fact Isaiah 38. Isaiah 38, which tells of King Hezekiah, 
one of the few and the many litanies of the kings of Israel who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He tore down the high places. He did not bow the knee to the idol Baal. He who cleaned the temple of anything that was but pure and consecrated to God. And he who in Isaiah 38 had suddenly fallen ill. I'm sure he was wondering why do bad things happen to good people? And as such, he found himself in a moment of pity. And yet when the prophet Isaiah arrived, Hezekiah pleaded with him, please speak upon my behalf to God and ask him to give me more life. Ask him to give me more time. Isaiah does that. And as an answer, Yahweh puts the sun setting backwards in the course of the night sky. He guarantees Hezekiah's reign will last 15 more years. But on the heels of that healing, there stands at the gates a threat unlike Israel had ever seen before. It was the nation of Assyria led by King Chenesherib, and they were wanting to annihilate Israel for not having given them the allegiance they felt was their due. God speaks to Hezekiah and says, do not fear for I will overcome. And during that night, God sends plague down on Sennacherib's army, killing over 120,000 and causing the Assyrian army to retreat. Israel had been liberated and their response, scholars believe, is this Psalm 66 something that in the temple courts they all sang together. And the change was that they were not worshiping or thanking the power of the monarchy or the king, but they were praising God for his deliverance. And as such, they left changed people ready to live lives of consequence. I think today it is imperative that we not view Psalm 66 as some text that was long ago, irrelevant to our present condition, but rather we see it as something that we ourselves need to live. For amongst us, there is so many stories to be had, but it's imperative that we first find ourselves in God's story before we ever dare dream of living into a story of consequence. You see, so many try to make it on their own, live life by their own rules and measurements, try to make a name for themselves. They want to create their own story of consequence. But my friends, I'm here to tell you that in order to live a life of consequence and speak stories of consequence, we first need to find ourselves within God's story. There, undoubtedly, you will find a moment of trial. There you will find a moment in which God brings the victory to you and you will find yourself forever changed. So in that light, I want to give you three imperatives for you to follow, not only in the week that is to come, but hopefully far thereafter. The first is to find your trial or let your trial find you. 
It was Moses, the prince of Egypt, who was outlawed and sent outside. He had gone from being one in the royal courts to one who was shepherding his father-in-law's flock when suddenly a flame appeared. A burning bush was aglow, and it spoke to Moses, saying, Take your shoes off, for you are now on holy ground. One author named Elizabeth Barrett Browning writes the following, that earth is crammed with heaven and every bush of fire with God, but only those who see take off their shoes. The rest sit around picking blackberries. It is that reason why we have to be looking for where God is ablaze in our world, for surely This idea of a burning bush isn't just relegated to the story of Moses. There are fires everywhere which are beckoning us to come and enter into them. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, and as surely as we do with steadfast faithfulness, we will undoubtedly create a few enemies. Oh, yes, there are fires all around us, and only those who see will be willing to leave life's comfort and enter into the fray, enter into the flames so that when they're up against it, and you will be, you will see that our God is mighty to save Remember that story of the three friends of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They refused to bow the knee to King Nebuchadnezzar when they were exiled to Babylon. And so the king, in a fury, condemned these three men to death, a death in which they would be put beneath the flames in the fiery furnace. But as the king lowered the men in there, he looked down into the flames and said the following, Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and he, the fourth looks like a son of the gods. It was none other than God's own angel, Jesus Christ himself, who was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And as those three men were raised out of the flames, it is no doubt that they proclaimed a great Savior had been with them, someone who secured the victory. So in as much as you enter the flames, in as much as you are willing to embrace the trial, rest assured that Jesus Christ is soon on the way and you will be delivered from the flames. But as you leave the flames, you will find that there's something different about you and this different is okay. For while you were in the flames, you were being refined. Refiner's fire is that process in which an impure metal is put into the roaring fires and all the impurities are removed. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible for silver and furnace for gold, but the Lord refines the heart. You see, when you enter into the flames of God's story, finding yourself being delivered by the power of God, you are going to leave a better person 
The impurities of life are going to be removed from you. You are going to be more holier then than you are now. More like Jesus Christ than ever before. And might I add, what a wonderful story to tell. I sense today that whether you're here or whether you're watching online, that many still are wondering... I know that there's a fire or two, preacher, but do I really want to enter in? The answer is unequivocally, yes, you do. For the life of consequence that is entering into the flame, being delivered from the flame and being changed by the flame also gives us the stories of consequence that we so desperately want to share and tell around the campfires. Those things that not only will change us, but all who hear it. Those stories that people will look back upon long after we've died and say, thank God for that brother or sister's faithfulness. For within their life, a life of consequence, something happened which is unexplainable. It wasn't by their own power or might. It was because of God and God alone. So for any and all who are wondering, perhaps hedging on whether or not you should enter into the fire, my imperative is the following. Stop standing outside the fire and say yes. Now I must confess that last point is not by your pastor, but it's by the great philosopher Garth Brooks. You might remember him. He was one of those that became a classic country music artist. A song was brought before him, and he sang it with such passion because the words are all about living that life of consequence. In his song, Standing Outside the Fire, Garth Brooks writes, There's a love that is burning deep in my soul, constantly yearning to get out of control, wanting to fly higher and higher. I can't abide standing outside the fire. You see, Garth Brooks later goes on to conclude that if you stand outside the fire, life is not try, it is merely survive. In other words, if you truly want to live people of God, you have to be a people of faith. Knowing that the fires are hot, knowing that the trial is real, but knowing that your God is mightier still. And inasmuch as you entered the flame, he will send one to be with you named Jesus Christ who will never leave you. It's never going to be too hot for Jesus to stay in the kitchen. He's with you now and forevermore. And as he delivers you, as only he can, You will look back as a changed person, one who is holier than you were, one who is stronger than you were, one who is changed in ways that you did not believe possible. And your praise, your praise will be like that in Psalm 66. You will cry it out together and it will become our own national anthem of praise. One that declares God is mighty to save. One who declares that God's love will never leave us 
or abandon us and one that declares that because God loves us so much, he refuses to leave us as we are, that we are on a journey, whether it's during this season of summer breeze or forever after, that God has a plan in mind and that, my friends, is always leading us to live more like his son, Christ Jesus. So I implore each and every one of us to stop standing outside of the fire, just admiring its glow and wondering if we could ever participate and instead give a simple response. It declares in three letters something that is a resounding sign of faithfulness to God, and that word is yes. Now, just to know that you're with me and that you're capable of saying the word, I want you to say yes on the count of three. Are you ready? One, two, three. Yes. All right. I've heard it come from your own lips. So when this church comes a calling, I want you to be faithful enough to enter the fire and to declare again, yes, for this church, First Baptist Church, Carrollton is but an opportunity to enter into the fire. It is your burning bush. It is your furnace and it is the place where Jesus Christ will use whatever it takes so that we will be formed and changed, so that impurities will be removed and we are steadfast on the focus of the kingdom of God. So when the church is asking, will you serve on a committee? (laughs) Will you serve on a ministry team? I want you to be bold enough to say yes and enter the fire. When the church is soon to launch mission trips to the country of Honduras, I want you to be bold enough to say yes and enter the fire. When the church is one who is giving us opportunities to serve here in the city of Carrollton, even when it coincides with your favorite golf game or football event, I want you to say yes. I want you to say yes when a friend asks you for help. I want you to say yes to civic groups that ask you to join in to help our community. I want you to say yes to teaching Sunday school. I want you to say yes when you simply put before any and all to hear, how can I help make this better? It's that word yes that will declare that we are ready to enter into the fire. And the next time that you gather around the campfire, the next time that stories are being told, it might just be you in the moment of truth when everyone is listening that has a story of consequence to be told, one that will resound with every heart and mind as it reflects common lived experience in a trial, in a victory, and a change. It'll be one that you will be heard repeated for time and time again, but perhaps not even by your own lips, for those who were listening will repeat it themselves. Do you remember the time that they did this? Do you remember the time that they did that? 
Oh yes, the summer breeze wants to engage us in such a way that each and every one of our hearts today are touched by fire and forever changed. So come on, people of God. You said it aloud. I know you're capable. Jesus here and now is calling upon your life and how sweet it is for him to hear the word, yes. Today is your opportunity to declare yes to Christ as we stand and sing that we have a story to tell. It's hymn number 427. And I want you to use this moment as a time to further say yes to the one who gave his all in all for you. I want you to come and declare Christ as Savior if you've never done that before. I want you to come and pray with me if that's where your heart is leading. And I want you to know that this church is here today to receive you as a member, as one who also wants to live a life of consequence. Let's stand as we sing hymn number 427.